0: It's a great way to serve the many, many, many children of Redeemer, and so um, it's wonderful that we have so many uh, young ones, and it's good to, good to help out. And so I would encourage you, uh, talk to Claire Shin if you have any availability that week. There's all sorts of things that you could do, um, and so we encourage you to do that, and this is not going to be the first time we announce this. So, um, okay, uh, we are continuing our series Through the Ten Commandments, and we've come to uh, commandment number six. And it's our practice at Redeemer to spend some moments in silence before I pray. And what we're doing in that space um, is just simply asking God to make us aware that He's here with us. It's very easy, as we always say at Redeemer, it's very easy to forget that we're engaging with God. And it's very easy to talk about God and not to Him. And so in that moment of silence, what I'm wanting us all to do, and I love the moment of silence in our churches, um, is simply becoming aware that God's with us. Um, He's inside of you. He's inside of this community. And so just because I have a a mic and, and you're praying and I have a mic, that doesn't mean I want you to disengage. And so engage with God with me. Let's pray. Lord, each person in this room is so very holy. And it's because we bear your image. We are your image. And you have said that life comes from you. And to you, all life returns. And as we think about what it means to um, take life, what it means to murder, um, we do ask, Lord, that you would eradicate Uh, all of the anger and hatred that is within our hearts. It does not exist just in the outside world, but you have said that it cuts through the heart of every human being. And so there is a sense into which the word exposes that truth in us, but never ever to shame us, to isolate us, or to leave us in despair. And so would you come, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit and show us that great gospel That through the murder of your son, you brought hope and life into the world, which can't and won't end. And so would you do that? And would you enliven each spirit in this room uh, to not only resonate with that, but to be so united to it that they become and we become together people of light and life? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the... uh, One of my favorite books is by a guy named Wendell Berry. uh, The book is called Jaber Crow. And Jaber is this barber in the town's fictitious town called Port Williams in Kentucky. And it's set in post-World War II times. And there was a particular guy getting a haircut from him one day. And this guy uh, loved to to hear himself say bad things, as Jaber Crow would say. And uh, he was against this particular partisan group in his town. And he was mouthing off about this, this, these people that he was against. And Jaber said, like, this is kind of the sentiment of the town and the sentiment of his barbershop. And this one particular guy said, they ought to line all of them up facing the communists and then whoever killed who, it would be all to the good. And then uh, Jaber says this, and this is why I love this scene. So he's cutting hair. He said, it's hard to do, but I quit cutting hair. And I looked at him and I said... Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And he jerked up his head, and I'm editing a little bit to make it appropriate for Sunday morning. He jerked up his head and widened his eyes, and he said, where'd you get that? And he said, Jesus Christ. And he said, oh. And then Jaber said this about himself. It would have been one of those great moments in the history of Christianity Except I didn't have love in my heart when I told him it. <laughs> uh, do not murder. One of the things that I was struck by in seminary, you know, if you read the Bible, you get to the book of Leviticus, you're like, what in the world is going on here? Um, the whole thing is set up. If I could generalize it and summarize it, the whole thing, the sacrificial system in Israel is set up to show that God hates death, which is ironic because there's a lot of death in Leviticus. But there's this phrase throughout Leviticus that says life is in the blood. And what God is showing in that whole system is what he, he abhors, how sin has infested and infected his world and humanity and he wants to renew it. He wants to breathe life into the world that is infested with death. You know, Brian talked about Cain and Abel. This has been a problem with humanity since the beginning. And God has always been against the unjust taking of life. And one of this, uh, one of the things that this command reveals is that, you know, we've shifted from. Uh, The Godward focus commands to the commands that focus on our horizontal relationships with other human beings. And so as you move out from your family, honoring your father and mother, uh, you are not only to refrain from taking life, but you are to bring life and healing in whatever relationships you find yourself in as part of what this command teaches. And we're going to we're going to talk about that under uh, two Two points: the two layers of murder. Okay, so the, we're going to talk about that uh, as the surface of murder and the symptom of murder. So, first, the the first layer of murder, the surface. This is what we would call um, willful murder of the innocent. Like how we would say today is maybe like first degree murder. Uh, now, to to be honest with you. The, the exact word used in Exodus uh, 20, verse 13, is hard to translate because there's three Hebrew words for murder. And I want you to think about who wrote these commandments. Moses. Remember Moses' past? He killed somebody and hid that Egyptian in the sand. That's why he fled Egypt. And you've got to be thinking, as he's receiving this command, he's like, oh my gosh, um, What's interesting is that the word that's used when he killed that Egyptian is not the same word here in our text in Exodus 20, verse 13. There are three words for murder in Hebrew, and the one that's used here is the one that's far, far less common in the Old Testament. And so um, I'm thinking, just like we use the words kill and murder in English, there's an overlap of meaning with the words in Hebrew. But this command forbids you to take anyone's life in an unjust manner that's innocent. And it that would include you taking your own life. And, you know, most of us might think in this room, like, I can I can keep this one. (laughs) Uh, I can do it. And um, Jesus actually interprets this command for us. He does that with several commands, but he says, and Andrew just read this Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. I'm not going to read all the way down to where she, she read, but you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that who he, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so the first layer of this command includes physically murdering the innocent or taking the life of of another human being in an unjust way. The second layer is anger. Anger. Uh, what, what I would call ra- raka is in the Greek. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, you fool? Part of what it seems to be getting at is this idea of feeling some sort of disgust or superiority towards your brother. Now, notice the language here. This is uh, referring to the context of the worshiping community. So this command actually first applies to how the worshiping community relates and interacts with one another. It's not talking about the world outside yet. Now, maybe you've never thought of yourself as a violent person. But have you ever looked at somebody and said, maybe not out loud, but under your breath. Why are you such an idiot? Why? Why are you so unloving? How can you you think like that and not see the facts? How could you believe in God and actually think that? Now, here's what I think um, Jesus is getting at, that before physical murder, before particular stances that we hold that are right and just and good... Like protecting innocent lives, like protecting innocent babies, like being against the innocent taking of life from people of color or people that are old. Euthanasia before any of that stuff. This is something that Jesus wants us all to focus on internally, that every human being has an internal symptom that must be dealt with. And it's those thoughts of disdain towards especially those within one's own community, that they're like little tiny seeds. Those thoughts that might not turn into outright physical murder now, but it's the beginning of murder. Raqqa. And maybe it starts with, you know, cutting that person out of your life. Maybe it starts with slightly moving away from a person because they're just hard to be around. Now, look, I'm not saying don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not a time to confront somebody in a very direct way. Nor am I am I saying that it's not appropriate and sometimes very wise to place thick boundaries in the lives of people that hurt you, especially in abusive relationships. But here's the teaching These seeds of murder are in all of us, is what Jesus is saying. And you must cut those thoughts out of your heart every single day. Or it will grow and fester. And what begins to happen is that you'll make yourself separate from other human beings, feeling superior to them so that you feel justified in your anger. And Jesus says, that is the path to hell. Now, look, my favorite illustration about this is, um, you know, in in the south, some of some of us in here are from the south. There's a Japanese vine called kudzu in the south. And there's a famous saying about kudzu. uh, You know how to get rid of it? You can't, especially in the summer. You can burn it, you can rip it out. It always comes back. And so what you have to do, especially if kudzu has infested your yard, is that you have to rip it out every single day. That's what raka is. That it grows up in our hearts. It's not a problem out there, it's a problem in here with every human being. There's this super interesting phrase with Esau and Jacob. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob? Jacob stole everything from Esau. He stole his life, stole his inheritance, stole his place in the family. And Rebekah comes to Jacob because Jacob was her favorite. And she says, hey, your brother Esau comforts himself by planning to kill you. That is so insightful. He comforts himself by having thoughts to kill you. It's comforting to him. This is the temptation Especially, guys, when you feel isolated or you're deeply wounded, like what Esau was feeling. That's not the end of Esau's story. He changed, by the way. But here's what I want to tell you. There is a way of getting through the pain in this life by despising other people. And Jesus says, don't go down that road. Raka, saying in your heart about other people, you fool. Sneering at them. I can't believe you would do that. Meaning, breaking this command functions for us so that we don't have to deal with a God who claims to love life, yet we see death everywhere. And injustice everywhere. And it's all around. That's the real heart of murder is that you don't see God doing anything, and so we feel like we have to take matters into our own hands, or into our own hearts, and make people pay. So, what do you do if you're there? Um, Well, every day, when your mind starts to spiral towards contempt of another person, or even towards contempt of oneself, Jesus is saying it's actually more important to uproot that thought And to uproot that disdain before coming to worship. That's a pretty big thing to say. Before doing the thing that you're called to do as a human being, uproot it. Get it out. Here's why. Because unhinged anger leads to hell. It prevents you from seeing the value of the image of God in another person. And when someone holds a stance that really threatens you, when someone says or does something that really hurts you or your family members, it's so easy to feel justified in your anger and your retaliation. But God says, Vengeance is mine. I will take care of it. So wait. Wait for me to make it right, because I will. Um, I felt all sorts of ways about what happened at the Oscars with with Will and Chris. You, remember, you know, um, I, I feel like I related to Chris Rock. I related to Will Smith. And I was like, ah, just and, you know, we can see the, the fruit of anger, like with a slap on the screen. But Je- what Jesus is saying is that that actual violent act is the fruit of an internal symptom that's been going on for a long, long time. And some of us know, y'all, I'm an angry person. I've been this way since I was a little boy. Some of us know that the hardship that anger brings into your life firsthand, how it can change a best friend into an enemy, how it can, how it can make you despise those who you once fell in love with, and you don't want to be that kind, of comper- that, that kind of person, always complaining about others, always having to have this perpetual conversation in your head where you always win the argument. You know, Ed Welch says, anger always thinks it's right, you know. That's bondage. And my, my children and I, we, we like to play this game called Would You Rather, which I actually learned here in Nebraska through Bart Mosman, the famous one, Would You Rather Sweat Cheese or Cry Glue? It's a hard one, right? Gotta go with cheese, right? Um, If you follow Jesus, He will eventually make you choose between these two. Would you rather be right and alone, or would you rather be repentant and in community? Would you rather be right and alone, or would you rather be repentant and in community? And the baseline, you guys, we are human beings. The baseline to getting into his kingdom is that you bring your sin with you and you you enter with all sorts of other sinners. And one of the ways that the gospel can actually get into your heart, into the heart of a community, is at the precise moment when you can extend or receive forgiveness, when wounds happen. I don't know of a better chapter that plays this plays itself out, and how this works out in the the life of a human being, then then C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity chapter on forgiveness. It is so good. Um, He says, imagine you're reading something in the media about somebody that you don't like, and news comes out that they did something terrible. And then, as time goes on, the, the facts are revealed that it actually wasn't as bad as they made it out to be on the media. And he says, what does your heart do in that moment? Are you happy? Or do you wish it was as bad as it was at the beginning? He says, if you wish it was bad, you're in trouble. Do not let, the Proverbs say, do not let your heart rejoice when your enemy falls. Jesus is saying, and this is the beautiful thing about following him. Jesus is saying, you can actually, it, it's possible, you can hate the sin and love the sinner. You can do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Chloe Godery says that the, the heart of effective activism is that you must have love in your heart for your enemy before you protest. That's when it becomes very strong in the world. And again, this, this command isn't against, you know, it isn't against um, justice. It isn't against... Uh, you, the, I mean, if you, read, if you read the Old Testament, it, it certainly has consequences for the sins that we commit. It, it isn't against uh, setting thick boundaries against those who continually harm you or crying out for justice to God himself all the time. But if you have experiences within community, not making others pay or others not making you pay, it literally feels like a check that's being cashed in. And it's when phrases like, you know, we use phrases all the time, and we sing it, that Jesus paid for my sins. It's when phrases like that begin to be personal to you. If you were to write me a check for a million dollars, I'd be like, oh, you know, that's cool. Um, But if I went to the bank tomorrow, and they gave me a briefcase of cash, that's a different story, right? When you extend forgiveness to somebody else, you are feeling the payment. This is why we sing about blood. That Jesus' blood is the cash. And you're like, this is where it all went. This is where all the pain got let out so that I can receive the (laughs) the inheritance of Christ. It goes right into my pocket so that, this is how it plays itself out, so that I can be about the protection of life of other people. And so that I don't have to make other people pay and I don't have to make myself pay anymore. This is why we prepare for Palm Sunday and Holy Week. This is at the forefront of Jesus's mind as he's looking over the city and he's alluding to Genesis one. And he's like, I have he's looking at his people and he's like, I have longed to gather you like a mother bird would gather her chicks under her but you wouldn't let me you wouldn't you didn't want anything to do with me and so what does he do he still heads into the city knowing what would happen to him knowing that he's going to be he's going to be the one that has to pay through his own blood now the the cost that you will feel if you practice this command It simply plays itself out as constantly remembering Jesus in every interaction that you have with other people, especially when they hurt you. And when that happens, you will actually be able to forgive as God forgave you. And at the same time, stand up for the lives of the innocent. And I want to I speak to you about one more thing concerning this command that I, I believe to be the most devious way that evil works. And I don't know about you, but I am certainly uh, my most critical critic. Are y'all like that? And whenever anyone points out a flaw of mine, my general tendency is like to immediately get defensive. But that's not the worst part. Uh, the worst part is over the course of time, and sometimes over the course of years, I begin to tell myself, you know, that's true. Why are you so stupid, Matt? Why can't you just get it together? Your children deserve a better father. Your, your wife deserves a better husband. You guys know that thought? process." You guys talk to yourself like that? Um, Dan Allender says that he's got a a tennis player who's a who's a friend who said that he actually can't play good unless he maligns himself for not being better. And when questioned on it, he says, this type of approach actually helps me improve. If I malign my performance, I do better. Some golfers understand this as we head into the Holy Week before Holy Week, Masters Week. And what Dan Ellender says is like, in a similar way, the Christian community often encourages self-contempt as a means of increasing holiness. For instance, if you chastise yourself harshly enough for being sexually impure, you'll be less likely to do the bad behavior again. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, when you feel and look like a failure... And you begin to be disgusted with yourself. Hear me clearly. That is not Christianity. That is not a way of preserving and nourishing the life that God gave you. And it's a way to break the sixth commandment. There is a godly grief that leads to repentance that's actually rooted in the kindness of God for you. But many of us have this ungodly grief... That is rooted in shame and it's of the devil. And it's hard to define it, but it's that feeling you get when you sleep in after your alarm clock and you're like an hour late to work and and you're like, how could you? Seriously, you're such an idiot. And hear me. That's what many of us think that Christianity is. And it's not to malign yourself. That's the furthest thing from what Jesus has come to do in the whole world. God did not send his son into the world to be disgusted with you. God came to bring you life. So that you can have it in abundance. Especially in your worst moments. And the irony is that once you begin to honor God's image that is within yourself. Receiving God's kindness through Christ. You can give it to other people you won't project all of that self-hatred onto other people. You actually enjoy other people because you enjoy God. Meaning God God doesn't want you to punish yourself. He does not want you to beat yourself up. It's an avoidance of the gospel to always be maligning yourself, to be relentless on yourself. That shame and disgust of oneself or others is an avoidance of what Jesus did on the the cross. That all that shame and disgust was let out onto his head. And that's what you believe in as a Christian. You know, part of what we do in this season as a church, and we're we're wrapping up here, is we meditate on Jesus' road of suffering and pain. And... I just want us to just imagine for a moment how tormenting it must have been for to be both God and man and living day in and day out with people who would murder you and knowing it. And what you begin to realize in the season is that is that Jesus was gracious to the very, very end. So much so that as he's dying, he says, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's like the ultimate benefit of the doubt. Now, um, a few years ago, you know what happened at the Methodist Church in Charleston, South Carolina? Um, these church members, is you can see this on YouTube, you can watch Dylan's trial, this boy. Each member that had a family member taken away from him, from this murderous boy, they got up and they, they said, they looked him in the eyes and they said, we, we hate what you've done. What you've done is you've taken so much away from us. But we still want you to have God. We want you to taste the forgiveness of God. And those are the types of people that Jesus intends to fill the world with. And it becomes the strongest force in the world to stand up against injustice with fierceness But you have this secret in your back pocket that whatever people have done to harm you, they are still God's image. And you can still desire their good. That is ultimate freedom. That means that no matter what anybody does to you, that pain doesn't control you. It is the literal embodiment of eternal life. And you see it in spurts in this world, but especially in that church with those dear brothers and sisters, extending forgiveness but calling for justice. This command um, on the surface seems quite doable. And Jesus, uh, as he interprets it, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's not unnecessarily trying to make human beings out to be worse than they are. He's just saying it straight. He's explaining what actually happens internally in our hearts. And he wants you to be released from the bondage of anger. So let's pray as we head into uh, Holy Week. We'll start with Palm Sunday this, this coming Sunday, a week from now, and then um, celebrate Easter the following Sunday. So let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for coming and being so kind and patient with us and yet speaking the truth at the same time. And so, Lord, would we do that with one another um, here today? Would we at this table um, know what you have done to give us
1: life? Soft and sweetly